This morning is something a little different than we typically do. So let me first uh, begin by saying if you did not receive a booklet like this, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as our ushers are going to make sure that you get one this morning. If you keep your hands raised till you get one. We all need one. I had Grady trying to copy off his wife. No copying allowed. Everyone gets their own book. You get to fill in your own blanks, take your own notes. This is a great way for us to keep on track. Again, this is a material suitable for elementary and older. And I know that Jill had sent out a message earlier uh, to the parents that if, uh, if your children can write and they can listen, this is perfect for them to be here today as we go through this material. Anyone else raising your hands? There's a few up top here. They'll get to you. Now I'm going to do my very best to stay with you in this booklet. And we have PowerPoint that will be going along with the same message. So you can fill in your blanks. And I'll do my best to uh, acknowledge those times when we hit a blank that you can fill in. But uh, this morning, we're, we're beginning a seven-week practical training on witnessing. That word witnessing carries many meanings. Some of you might hear that and you think of soul winning. You might think of it as sharing Jesus. Or you might think of it as evangelism. Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's not for us to sit here and write a check to send someone else to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though that's a good thing. It's not for us to go out and invite people to church. Though that's a a really good thing. This is sharing personally the gospel of Jesus Christ. Personally sharing with someone that Jesus died for you. He knows you're a sinner. And yet while you were still his enemy, he died for you. His son came. He lived a a sinless life. He was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised again from the dead to prove that it's all true. And now he invites you into a relationship with God to be reconciled, to be uh, forgiven of all your sin and secured a place in heaven. That's what I'm talking about witnessing, that, that simple message. You know, it uh, reminds me of a roller coaster. <laughs> you, you might wonder, well, how do we get to a roller coaster? Some years ago, when my children were smaller, we were in a roller coaster, and it's probably one very different than you might have ridden in. Now, it was the typical, when you get in the roller coaster, you go up. You go up the first hill and then you come down and it's a little faster and you, you hit the bottom, you go to the right, you go to the left and you're going around in circles, you do the loop-de-loops, all that stuff. But here's where it gets different. This particular roller coaster left the rails, crossed a small cavern and landed on the other side on the rails. Now you can imagine how exhilarating that is for a person such as me. And after I came to, got out of the roller coaster, 
we were still in the mall. This was a virtual roller coaster. It was about the size of a, a large car. And if you stood on the outside, all you saw was this, this thing moving back and forth. And you'd hear every once in a while Steve screaming on the inside. But that's what it was. It, on the inside, it felt like you were doing something, going somewhere. But on the outside, nothing was really happening. It was a virtual roller coaster. Now, unfortunately, many great churches have virtual evangelism. That means we get together and, and we learn about evangelism and witnessing. And we get together and we talk about evangelism and witnessing, but we don't actually do it. In fact, a friend of mine, Dennis Nunn, quoted uh, recent surveys that said 95% of those who claim to be a Christian will never lead one person to Jesus Christ for salvation. And and what's more shocking is 90% of those who claim to be Christians won't even try. And, And the question that we deal with today is why? Why are those of us who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have the greatest news ever, why aren't we more willing to share the gospel with other people? And that's what we're going to deal with today. We're going to answer three questions. If you'll turn in your booklet to page two. It's entitled, Destroying Apathy. Why aren't we motivated? Number one in your outline there... Some Christians ignore or misunderstand Jesus' commands. Some Christians ignore or misunderstand Jesus' commands. Now, when I use the word Christian, I'm not talking about those who were born in the United States. I'm not talking about those who were born in Alabama. I'm not talking about those who once had an uncle that was a deacon in a Baptist church somewhere, somewhere down the line. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, who know the the eternity of salvation through Jesus Christ, the guarantee that God has for us. We ignore or misunderstand the Lord's commands. As I mentioned, we're going to do things a little differently. Most often, I would read the scripture, have you follow along. Today, we're going to read scripture together out loud. That's why we all have a books. We all have the same translation. It'll be on the, on the screen as well. But these commands of Jesus are recorded in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here we have some examples here. So if you would, read with me this first passage, Matthew chapter 28. And this is, it's in verses 19, 20, but we're only reading a portion of it together. So listen, read out loud with me, okay? Go therefore and... Now it's also listed in some form of that in Mark and Luke. Well, let's look at also John. This is John chapter 20, verse 21. Read with me. Jesus said to them again, Great. Now, often what happens, and I can say this because I've been on the other side. 
Don't we pay staff to do this? The very thing that that Jesus is commanding us to do, isn't that what the staff is for? Some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, I understand this whole thing about witnessing, but Steve, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'd say, you know what? You're probably right. You see, in in this passage here, Ephesians 4.11, we can read that together as well. This next passage, if it is... (laughs) Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles, read it, the prophets, the shepherds. See, when we look at scripture like this, we understand that not everyone is a pastor. But we also see not everyone is an evangelist. So there in your next blank, some believers are evangelists. Now, these evangelists are those who are equipped by God for a purpose. And that purpose is to build up the body of Christ. That purpose is to equip the saints. And they are effective in that purpose. You've probably witnessed some in the many decades that we have been in existence here in Boaz. We've had some incredible evangelists that came in and would share with us during revival services. And you can just tell there's something different about them. And they are gifted in evangelism. But here's the truth in contrast. Even though some are evangelists, all Believers are witnesses. Fill in your blank there. All believers are witnesses. Read with me Acts 1.8. But you will receive power. I find it interesting that as we read that passage, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you could be my witness. Doesn't say that. You might be my witness. In the right circumstance, you could be my witness. Doesn't say that. He says, you will be my witnesses. Who's he talking to? Followers of Jesus Christ. Well, I think it's important on the next page, it's important to understand the why of witnessing. Why would God be so adamant that those of us who follow Jesus witness to the people outside of this building, to the people we encounter? Now, this next passage is a little long, so I will read it. You can follow along in in your, your book or on the screen. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. See, there is a reason to share the gospel. And that reason is that next line there, if you want to fill in the blank, God's desire is that all people should worship, worship him through Jesus Christ. God's desire is that all people would worship him through Jesus Christ. If you read with me this next one, Philippians 2.11 and every tongue confess Jesus 
do you understand that it glorifies God when we witness? It glorifies God when we testify that he is the Lord. And I know that you love God. And I know that you have the same desire as me, that, that we would walk in his footsteps. We would leave a, live a life that glorifies him. But why don't we do it? 2 Corinthians 4.15, read with me here. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Do you see what happens here is that as you and I witness more and more, then God is glorified more and more, and thanksgiving is given to God more and more. It's, it's a cycle that God creates that it starts out with us right here and it's like this big and then we go out and we, we testify and then we have more that come and then it gets this big and then it that happens again and we go out again and we keep testifying to the glory of God and it becomes this big. This is what happens when we do what God says that we should do. That statement at the bottom of your page there on page three, worship should lead to witnessing which will lead to more worshipers. Isn't that a beautiful picture? As we genuinely worship Christ, we will witness. And as we witness, we bring in more worshipers. And then we, we worship him again. And then we would go and witness. And then we have more worshipers. And again, it's more and more and more, just as God would have us. So why don't we do it? Why aren't we motivated? Well, the first point, some Christians ignore or misunderstand the Lord's commands. Number two, this is page four. Many Christians have misplaced priorities. Many Christians have misplaced priorities. Now, even though we love God and even though we want to walk in his footsteps and glorify him in, in our lives, too often this happens. Mark chapter 4, verse 19. If you'll read this with me. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... So we see three things in this passage that we need to be mindful of. And we're going to address those three things real quickly here. The first one, the cares of this world. A friend of mine, Dennis Nunn, shared this story about this point that was real in his life. And he said this, I had a great career in sales. But God called me to the ministry, and I understood that call. And so I had to make a decision in my life, and that was to quit my job, to move our family, sell our house, and to go to Bible college. He said it was not easy to do that. He said I had two part-time jobs just to help take care of my family. I had family God provided. Sometimes we would come home. There would be food on the steps that we needed. 
There would be other times I would open up the cupboard and it would be empty. And he said, I'm not talking about only peanut butter and crackers. I'm saying empty, nothing in the cupboard. He realized saying this, I've got to do something different. I need to quit Bible college and go get a job. So he drove to a place called Sales Consultants, walking in, I would like to apply for a job. They gave him an application as he was going through. This is what he said. I got to page three. And on page three, it said, what is the most important thing that ever happened in your life? I knew what I was supposed to write. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing. He said, but I needed a job. (laughs) So I said, I wrote nearly a million dollar account in my last my last position. They took the application. Soon I found myself there in front of the interviewer. He was going through the material. Turns to page three. It's the question here was, what's the most important thing that's ever happened to you? And you wrote, you wrote a nearly million dollar account. Is that true? In his heart? No, (laughs) no, trusting Jesus is the most important thing that has happened in my life. But did I do it? No, I did not because I needed a job. So I said, yes, sir. And the interviewer said something like this. Well, that's sad. He said, I became a Christian about a year ago, and that was the most important thing that has ever happened in my life. And since that day, I have been waiting for someone to answer this question in the same way. And I saw that you were studying for the ministry, and I thought for sure you would be the one. Now, Dennis said in his heart, this is what happened. I'm out of God's will. I don't want the job. (laughs) I want to go back to school. And he did. And Dennis has served for over 30 years now as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there was the cares of the world that got in the way of obedience. The second thing we see here is the deceitfulness of riches. And and I don't want to to sound um, like I'm, I'm turning a blind eye to the world because... Obviously, we're supposed to provide for our families. That is biblical. And we know it takes money to live in this world. But there comes a time when money becomes an object of our attention. As the Bible says, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so we grow concerned when we we have this desire for retirement or desire for uh, a great purchase of something. We get so focused on those things that it filters through our decisions to follow Christ in the way we should. A friend of mine in the ministry said that he had uh, a longtime member come up to him and said, well, we're moving to Missouri. Really? You're moving to Missouri? I had no idea you were even thinking about it. He said, well, it's, it's a big promotion. I have a lot of money coming in there. And he said, did, did you pray about that? I said, no. 
you got to go where the money is. Well, the truth is, you go where God sends you, not where the money is. So sometimes, even though we love God, sometimes, even, even though we want to live for Him, sometimes the love of money gets in our way and muddies our focus on following Christ. The third thing that we mentioned in this passage is the desires for other things. Now that could be, and we're talking about Christians now, that could be the desire for possessions or for pleasure or for power or for prestige or for a position. And we know that, that there are traps in each of those, but I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about good things. That we can be so focused on good things that we miss the best thing. So Ryan shared a failure of his. Let me share a failure of mine that happened most recently. I don't know if you've ever been to the hospital, and I hope that you haven't, but more than likely you've probably had your brush with the hospital. Up in the Huntsville Hospital, they have a special waiting room for the ICU surgery. And you just don't walk in to that waiting room. It's gated. There's a gatekeeper right there. They want to know who you're there for and how many's in your party. You have coffee, you have water, you have your own bathrooms. And it's, it's really a nice setup. But as you walk into this area, now it's early in the morning, so it's subdued. The lights are turned down quite a bit. And, and you just feel as you walk into the room that it's, it's meant to be quiet because the reality of why you would be there is that someone you love is not in that room. Someone you love is in surgery and you're waiting to hear the outcome of that surgery. I see you waiting room. Serious business. So you're just waiting to hear the call that comes in and says, everything is fine. It went as expected and they're in recovery. That's what you long to hear, but you wait and you wait and you wait together. And so we were there and we were waiting together as a family. I felt that's exactly where I needed to be at that time. Sometimes you don't have to say anything, but just being present to be an encouragement to them, to pray with them. I just felt that that's where I needed to be. We were on one side of the room, and on the other side of the room were two women. And they didn't seem to talk much. There was a TV up in the corner that had the weather channel going on. And as clear as I'm speaking right now, though I did not hear an audible word of God, this is what I heard. Steve, you need to go pray with those women. Now, why would I want to do that? Because they're there for a reason, and it's a serious reason that they're there. So I did what most Christians would do. I argued with God. I don't even know them. Why would I go over there, have to walk all the way across the room? How awkward would that be? What if they're mean to me? 
So I won the argument and I stayed right where I was. Soon thereafter, I hear again, you need to go pray with those women. So now I would do what most of you would do. I left. I didn't do it. Now think, think with me here. Was I doing something good? Sure. I was there to minister to a family. Was I in the place where God led me to be? Absolutely. Do I love God? Yes, I do. Do I want to live for Him? Absolutely, I do. That's a good thing, but I traded it for the best thing. See, the best thing would have been to witness to two women who were in there. I don't know if they knew Jesus. I don't know if they know the hope and the peace of God in their lives. I don't know what was hanging in the balance in their lives. I don't know what they were going through, but I would never know if I didn't go speak with them. And I forfeited the opportunity to do the best thing, comfortable with doing a good thing. So why don't we witness more? First, some ignore or misunderstand the Lord's commands. Second, many Christians have misplaced priorities. Turn your page, number six. Number three, most Christians forget about the fate of lost people. Most Christians forget about the fate of lost people. That word lost is a general term. Have you ever prayed, like me, Oh God, please help all the lost in the world. That's a pretty general statement, isn't it? And that's something we're, we're going against, isn't it, Gary, in our Wednesday night purposeful prayer. We're not speaking general terms. God, help everybody, heal everybody. We're being very specific about our prayer. So I'm not talking about the lost in Bangladesh, and I'm not talking about the lost in Belgium. I'm not talking about the lost in Baltimore. I'm talking about the lost in Boaz, Alabama. The people you know. The people that you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you're on the team with, the people that you call friends, the people that are your relatives, the people that are your neighbors, the people that you shop with, the people that you golf with. These are the people that I'm talking about. The lost in Boaz, Alabama. If you'll follow along, it's a lengthy passage, so I'll read and you just read along with me. Luke 16, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died also and was buried. First thing that we want to recognize here are the two ends of the social spectrum. We have a man who was rich. I'm from West Virginia. We would call this high on the hog. 
He lived a life that only could be envied by many. He, he had suits that were hand-tailored, and he wouldn't think twice about spending $50,000 on his suit. He had a watch that was encased in diamonds. He not only had a mansion where he lived, he had multiple mansions across the United States. He had mansions across the world. He owned an island. And it says that he ate sumptuously. Can you imagine each week having your own Wagyu beef shipped in? Perhaps Maine lobster brought in? And salmon from Alaska brought in just so that you could feast and enjoy your life? That's one end of the spectrum. The same picture as Jesus was talking about, the same picture have the other end of the spectrum. And here we have a poor man. He did not have a suit. He wore rags. He did not have a mansion. He was homeless. He did not have food that he ate sumptuously. In fact, he he would dig through the trash of the rich man just hoping to get a remnant of what he threw away. And what we hear in this passage, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you're going to die. Whether you're tall, whether you're short, you're going to die. Whether you live in the jungles of Africa or in Boaz, Alabama, you're going to die. And that's filling in the blank there. Everyone is going to die. I have an obituary here. And just for to be sensitive, I understand that we, we have death in and around our lives, and it is a natural part of living. Honestly, when, you, when you're born, you start the dying process physically. But just listen to some of these in the obituary. Charles was 72. Lola was 85. Julius was 16. Kenny, 63, Dana, 45, and Joshua was an infant. See, it doesn't matter your age. Everyone dies. I don't know if you've thought about your death. I have. In fact, in business school, one of the things that we were uh, challenged to do was to write what we would have on our epitaph. Because if you want that written about you, that means you have to start doing it today to be recognized in that way. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to live to be 125 years old. Some of you may be thinking he's there already. But listen, I will still have my lovely bride. We will have been married 95 years. Isn't that amen? Yes, she stuck it out. But here's how I think I would like it to happen. We both love the beach, and I think that we would get up early that morning, and we would go in Orange Beach. There's this little shop that sells beignets. Incredible, by the way. We'd get our beignets and coffee, and we'd go down to the beach. We'd watch the sunrise. That's a beautiful sight. We would walk on the beach together to burn off those excess calories. We'd make our way back to the house and take a nap. I am 125, so I can. 
early in the afternoon because we are senior citizens and we get a tax break, we would go and we would have a nice seafood meal. And we would fill feel ourselves up with great seafood down there. We'd go back to the house. We would sit in our matching recliners and I would grab her hand. She would hold mine. I would begin to snore because now I've developed sleep apnea. And then I would wake up in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? I go to sleep. The next breath I take is heavenly air. I go to sleep. The next thing I see is my Savior. Wouldn't that be awesome? Listen, the chances of that happening, slim to none. But what the Bible does say say is this. You're not guaranteed your next breath. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so as we look at this and we see that everyone is going to die, more specifically, everyone you know is going to die. And this brings the reality of what we're talking about here today. Let me read this next passage. You follow along. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, I want to be honest with you. How do you read that in your mind? So, one way you could read that, and he called out. Well, he couldn't have called because they didn't have cell phones then, but he called out. Booka, 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 boop. Hello, Father Abraham. Have mercy on me. Yes, would you please send Lazarus to dip his finger and, and perhaps touch my tongue with it because I am in anguish and misery in these flames. I doubt that that's the way it would happen. Wouldn't it be more? I don't know. Have you ever burned yourself? Just a little bit. I, I was grilling not too long ago and my arm caught on fire. It was just the hair, but still it was on fire. And I was this way. And after I got it padded out, I would look at the window to see if Julie was looking out the window to see me on fire. And thankfully she did not. <laughs> but I want you to picture this. As someone is being tortured... In anguish, it would not be a reading. It would be a screaming at Abraham. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to just touch his finger. Just one drop. That's all I need. Just one right on the end of my tongue. Because I'm in anguish. And I'm in these flames. I'm in torment. Help me. See, that's the way we read this because it is in hell. It is horrible. And as we see this, we understand from God's word that everyone who dies is judged. There was a, uh, a nine-year-old who was listening to that text being preached and he drew a picture of what hell must look like. 
And we have that for you on, on the board. So here's a picture of hell. And evidently, hell has compartments. So if we'll see that first compartment here. So in cell number one, we have homicidal maniacs. That's where they are. Number two, terrorists are down there. Number four, super liars. I don't know about you. We're not talking about the white lie people. We're talking about super liars. And then people who drive too slow in the fast lane. That's what hell looks like. Makes you wonder about the conversations in the car with mom and dad, doesn't it? Hell is real and hell is horrible. Now I want everyone to look at me right now. The words that we just read... It is not written by a Southern Baptist preacher trying to scare you into heaven. These are words of Jesus describing hell so you don't have to go. He loves you so much. He does not desire anyone to be there. Scripture says that he desires all to be saved, to come to the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ top of page seven follow along with me here but abraham said child remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and lazarus in like manner bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish and besides all this between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Once in hell, there is no second chance. Once in hell, there is no second chance. Now, I'm thankful that we live in a world of second chances. And that's only by the grace of God that we have second chances. I got a a warning ticket from a police officer just a couple of weeks ago. That's a second chance. I wanted to argue, but I felt if he's given me a warning, not worth the argument. But aren't you glad that we have a father in heaven who loves us so much and that if we are genuinely his children, that when we do mess up, when we do have failures in our lives, that he doesn't say, out with you. You're no longer my child. Get out of here. I don't recognize you. Aren't we glad that's not the way of God? See, if we are his child, we're his child forevermore. And as we live and breathe in the grace of God, we have time after time after time of chances to honor him and glorify him. As we look at this, it's, there's no second chance. Once you're in hell, once you've been judged and you, you find yourself in hell and, and it's described in that way that Jesus has given us, There's a fixed chasm between the two sides. Let me come down off the platform. Just as a visual here, it would be like a chasm here. 
It's a thousand miles deep and it's a thousand miles wide. And everyone who's over here cannot come over here. Everyone who's over here cannot go over here. It is a fixed chasm. There's no way once you're in hell that you can escape hell. That's a serious matter. The Bible does not teach that you have reincarnation. That if you messed up this life, you just come back to someone else and you can have another chance. It doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach purgatory, where you go after you take your last breath here and you hang out. And you let people who are still here pray you out of wherever you are into heaven. It doesn't teach that. There is no second chance. Continuing in our passage, verse 27. And he said, this is the rich man. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. We'll stop here for just a second. A few years back, I saw a t-shirt, and on that t-shirt it said, I'm going to party in hell with all my friends. Now, I know that's a lighthearted look at eternity, but when I read scripture such as that in God's word, it shows the reality of what's going to happen, that friends who are in hell do not want their friends there. People who are in hell do not want their family there. People who are in hell do not want their teammates, their schoolmates, or their coworkers there with them. He's saying, please send someone to warn them, send someone to tell them. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Well, at that point, when Jesus was talking about it, Moses and the prophets would have been the Old Testament. That's Moses and the prophets. And that's everything that God said about the Messiah, everything that God said about redemption, the hope of the Messiah and what he would do to rescue us from an eternal hell. All we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. But God laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the message of the Old Testament. And Abraham is saying they have that. All they have to do is listen to the message of the word. Verse 30, he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So what he's saying is this. They're not going to listen to the word. They've had chances to listen to the word. They don't believe it already. But if you would send someone from the dead, they would repent. Now, who do you think he had in mind to send from the dead? Perhaps himself. I'll go tell them myself. If there's any way you can work it out to where I can show back up in their house to warn them, please Please hear the message of God. Please turn to him. Please trust him to be your Lord and Savior so you don't have to be where I am for eternity. Could it have been that? Abraham said, verse 31, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Filling in your blank there, God uses the gospel, not miracles, to save people. God uses the gospel. See, there is an ordained message from God. The ordained message is simply this. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. That while we were sinners, he died for our sin. And if we would trust him in his work, that our sin would be forgiven. We would be given the righteousness of God. That we would have eternal life guaranteed through Jesus Christ. That is the message that has been ordained by God for us to share. But not only that, he has ordained a method of delivery. It's a simple method. Here it is. People who know Jesus tell people who don't know Jesus how to know Jesus. That's the method. That's the deli- It's not complicated. People who know Jesus tell people who don't know Jesus how they can know Jesus. Now, you've known me long enough that you know I'm not God, right? But if I were, I would not trust this ordained message to Steve Brown to tell the world. I probably wouldn't trust the church to do so either. But being that I'm God, I could do whatever I want. Here's what I might do. I have disposal, at my disposal, many angels. Perhaps I would just send angels down to speak to every person in the world. Now, how might that look? So I don't mean to scare anybody, but I'm invisible, right? So I would come and I would tap someone on the shoulder. Hey, Richard, don't be afraid. I'm an angel of God. I've got a message for you. Now, God knows that you're a sinner and he knows that you have turned from him and you've rebelled against him. But he died for you, Richard. His son died on your behalf. He paid the cost. He received the wrath of God so that you would not have to. And he desires to be your Lord and Savior. Would you trust him today to to save you from an eternal hell? And wouldn't that be effective? If an angel would come and, and, and just peck on your shoulder and share the good news of the gospel, what an easy way that would be. Why didn't God choose that way? Well, here's something a little, little more appropriate, perhaps. See, we're looking at Hurricane Lee right now. Now, right now, we have a category one, two, three, four, five hurricanes, five being the worst. Well, being God, I would create a hurricane that would require them to change everything. This is called a category 10 hurricane coming toward the East Coast. It goes from Costa Rica all the way to Quebec. It is a monster storm, and it is moving. It's not 157-mile sustained wind. It is a 1,000 miles per hour sustained wind. It is destruction coming into the United States. You know how often when the hurricanes come into Florida and then they dissipate and then they move on as a tropical storm, this one has every intention of coming across the entire United States and wiping it clean. That's how big it is. And so as it approaches the East Coast ever so slowly, people from all over the world, all eyes are on the storm. And of the, and they're trying to estimate the cost of, of what's going to happen here, the number of people that will ultimately die. And they're just waiting for this all to happen. But right before it hits the land, I, because I'm God, I would part the clouds and there would be a blue sky. John 3.16 would be painted in the clouds. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And every eye would see the message of God. That would be easier than entrusting the message to Steve Brown. One other thing, because we're in such a time as this, that we would perhaps send an email to everyone. And you might be thinking, well, I don't even have a a computer. Well, here's what I'll do. Because I'm God, on Christmas morning, everyone comes down their steps. They go to the tree, and we find that there is a computer for every person under the tree. We open up the computer. We turn it on. Some will have to have solar power because there's not electric out in the jungle. You open it up and you hear these familiar words. You've got mail. And it's an email from God with the gospel message. But God didn't choose to do it that way. He entrusted the message to us. Those who know God, know Jesus, share with people who don't know Jesus how to know Jesus. Turn the page. It's our last page. So based on what we have just seen in God's word, what should you do today? And that, the key word is do. What should you do today? Read with me this passage, James 1.22. But be doers. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've tried to encourage pastors after a moving sermon. And I, I pray that you've done so with, with Scotty and Kevin in the last couple of weeks to encourage them. A powerful message, great word of God that really touched me. Whatever words you had, but... Apart from being an encouragement to other people, God is far more important that we would do what he has taught us. That's that's the impact here. What are you going to do with what God taught us today? There are two things I want you to consider this morning as a commitment. You can fill in your blanks here. The first one is to decide to obey the Lord in witnessing Decide to obey the Lord in witnessing. See, John 17, 4 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Witnessing is an act of glorifying God. And we we love God. We want to follow him. This is one way that we can glorify him in our lives, by sharing the gospel message with others. Number two, ask God to give you a burden for people. Ask God to give you a burden for people. We know that, that Jesus was trying, or someone was trying to trap Jesus, and they said, well, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he followed up and he said, but the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. Church, it's impossible for us to love our neighbors and allow them to go to hell without hearing the message of the gospel. I pray that as we come to a time of commitment, that we will all make a commitment. And that's the truth. We're all going to make a commitment in just a few moments. And you might be sitting there thinking, you've got your arms crossed, there's no way I'm making a commitment. Steve's not going to make me do anything. 
the next statement there. You cannot be neutral in witnessing. Read with me this next passage, Matthew twelve thirty. Whoever is not with me is... Jesus is not talking about seed. He's talking about souls. And he's very clear. If you're not with me, you are against me. And if you are not gathering, you are scattering. And if you have your arms crossed, you say, there's no way I'm going to do what Brother Steve is asking me to do today. There's no way I'm going to do what God has said to do, what he ordained me to do. I'm just going to walk out here and tell my neighbors and my friends and my relatives and coworkers that they can go to hell. And you might be thinking right now, that's a little harsh, Steve. Well, from what Jesus said, hell is real and it's horrible. And if I'm to love my neighbor as myself, they will hear how they can escape hell and know heaven. The fact is, if lost people come into this place, they're going to hear the gospel. They will hear it. If, it. if not in the sanctuary, they'll hear it in a small group. If not in a small group, they'll hear it in Celebrate Recovery or men's classes or women's classes, the things that we have going on. They're going to hear the gospel. But the truth is 90% of the lost people will not come through these doors. That means you, you, you are the best chance for people who don't know Jesus. To come to know him, to gain heaven, and to miss hell. You're the best chance. Before we make a commitment this morning, I want to make a commitment to you. This week, I'm not asking you to go out knocking on doors. I'm not going to ask you to, to start memorizing scripture. I'm not going to ask you to watch a video series or read a book. All I'm going to ask you to do is pray those two things. God, would you give me the heart to obey you in witnessing and will you give me a heart to love people? Will you commit to do that? And here's my commitment to you. Over the next six weeks, I'm going to teach you everything that you need to know to do this practically. That it will be as natural as a conversation between someone that you love. That's my commitment to you if you will make that commitment with me this morning. Mind you, I make the commitment also. Here's how we're going to handle this. For this next couple of moments, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Just out of respect for the people around you, just close your eyes. If you're willing to make the commitment today to decide to obey the Lord in witnessing and ask God to give you a burden for people, I'm just going to ask you to simply raise your hand and lower it back down. Just raise your hand and lower it back down. Amen. Listen. You can, you can open your eyes. Majority of people said yes. Praise God that we are in line with what God wants us to do. The very thing that he has ordained us to do. We're going to do it together. I'm going to ask Mike and Ryan to come up as we come to a time of response. And here's what I would like to happen in this next few moments. The first chord that Mike plays, if you raised your hand, 
The, the very first words that come on the screen, when you, when you start to sing, if you raised your hand, here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to stay where you are. I want you to smile in the joy of the Lord. I want you to, to be happy to know that God is drawing you to himself and that he is going to do great things to you or through you as you are obedient to him. So you've already made your commitment. This invitation is, is for everyone else. Perhaps you have been attending this church for some time, but today is the day you say, I want to be part of this body of Christ. I want to join. It may be that, that you're struggling with something right now that you see as a barrier to keep you from doing this commitment. And maybe you just need to come and pray about that. But lastly, you've heard the gospel today. You've heard how real hell is by the words of Jesus. And you understand today that you are not secured in heaven. And you need a savior. And if you'll come today, you don't have to say anything other than I need Jesus. And let us help you, point you to the cross that you would know him. But that's what we're going to do right now. Those of you who have already raised your hand, like I said, you can stay where you are. But if you just want to come and pray for the church and pray for the people around you, pray for a loved one, it's okay to do that. But let's do so right now. So I want you to stand as we're being led in a time of response. I'll be here in the front if you need me. The altar is open for you.